Welcome to the Wunderkammer podcast, Curiosities from German History. I'm Keith White and thank you for listening. A Wunderkammer is a cabinet of curiosities and in every episode of the podcast we'll delve into the history books and look at a different person, thing, place or event forgotten day history. Please visit the website wunderkammerpodcast.com where you'll find show notes, images and more blog posts. So now, let's open the door of the Wunderkammer and find out today's story. This is episode 3, Martinarello, the Human Owl. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Wunderkammer podcast. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the first couple of episodes. Um, as promised, I'm going to try and be a bit more regular with getting these podcasts out. However, I'm moving apartment in the next week or two, so access to the internet may be a bit of an issue. So apologies in advance if that is the case. Um, I also wanted to give a quick shout out to Karina who got in touch on Facebook with some positive feedback for the show and shared a lovely song about the Currywurst, a, a YouTube link to which I'll put in the show notes. Thanks again to Karina. And if you want to get in touch, please don't hesitate either on the website or Facebook or Twitter or by simply sending an email to podcast at gmail.com. On with the show. In this episode, we're going to go back about 100 years to the 1920s and to the much-beloved circus shows of the time, such as Barnum & Bailey, The Ringling Brothers and Ripley's Believe It or Not, and one of their star attractions, Martin Lorello, the man with the revolving head. Now I know what you're thinking, Martin Lorello doesn't sound very German, more Italian than anything, and weren't all those famous circuses based in the United States? But hear me out. I'll explain. Martinarello was born Martin Emmelin in 1885 in Nuremberg, Bavaria. Now this was a completely normal birth in a completely normal town in the south of Germany. But what was curious is that Martin Emmeling was born with a small anatomical anomaly, a bent spine. X-rays of his spine later showed that he had an intervertebral disc between two cervical vertebrae. However, having no anatomical training, I have no real idea what that would look like. But moving on, we, we, we know very little about his childhood life and, as always, sources differ greatly. Some say his father was a plumber, others say he was a tinsmith, uh, but we know that Martin trained as a whitesmith or a tinsmith or a pewterer, all of which have the same German job title of a zingieser, which is maybe one of my new favourite German words. He was also a member of the Sandoz Athletic Club in Nuremberg. On a side note, uh, Eugene Sando, who was an incredibly famous German bodybuilder, um, in fact he was often created, well, not with creating the sport, but making it popular um, by organising the first ever bodybuilding competition. Um, and as well as promoting weightlifting, he also opened the Sandoz Athletic Club, where Martin became a member. Uh, on another side note, uh, Eugene Sando was born in Königsberg in Prussia, which, as it so happens, is the same place as Hertha Heuer from episode 1 and Wilhelm von Osten, who was Clever Hans' trainer, in episode 2. I wonder if we could get a tenuous, obscure link to Königsberg in every episode of the podcast. I doubt it, but it'd be fun. And um, from a pronunciation point of view, I've heard, I've heard both uh, Sando and Sandoff, and both appear to be correct, but I'll happily take any feedback on the topic, which I'll read out on the podcast to help other listeners. In any case, I digress. Martin Emmeling joined the Athletic Club 
and he was not particularly interested in bodybuilding, but instead he practiced and became very good at acrobatics. The fact that he had a bent spine, as mentioned before, helped him greatly with his acrobatic flexibility. And it was whilst training that he realised he was much more bendy and flexible than the other acrobats in the club, and he realised he could use it to his advantage. And using the memoirs of his great nephew Werner Hübner, a link to which I'll put in the show notes on the website, um, Martin started performing in clubs um, as a so-called snake man. And he would done a costume which looked like the skin of a snake and perform fantastic acrobatic acts such as winding his body through the rungs of a ladder like a snake. And when I um, first heard about Martin Lorello a couple of years ago, uh, long before I thought of putting together all my different research into a podcast, um, I had found an online source. And I can't remember whether it was a book or whether it was a newspaper article, but it showed Martin in his snake suit going through the ladder. Um, however, quite unfortunately, when researching this episode, I could no longer find this source anywhere, uh, nor uh, any of the pictures on Google. So if any listener knows where to find this, please let me know. It was full of information, which would have been incredibly useful for this episode. Anyway, back to the story. Um, at around the same time in 1905, Martin got married to his first wife, Laura, whose name he apparently used in his stage name of Martin Lorello. She was an accountant by trade, but also an acrobat specialising as a trapeze artist. She and he would tour all over Germany performing their acts, Martin sometimes going under the name of uh, Lorello Elastic, being a snake man, but also wowing the crowd as a type rope walker. And there is even a promotional poster of Lorello Elastic in his snake suit, uh, which I'll put on the show notes on the website if you are, are interested. So Laura and Martin became popular in Germany and would tour in different countries in Europe and even up to Russia. And it was in Russia where Martin Lorello's life would change drastically. They were performing at a show in St. Petersburg. The crowds were cheering and applauding as per usual. Martin had already shown off his talents as a stateman and he wanted to walk across a circus tent along a tightrope, a trick he had performed countless times. This time, however, something went wrong, and Martin fell from a height of 10 metres to the ground, to the apparent shock of the Russian audience. Back in Germany, he spent months in hospital with, a, with broken bones. In fact, uh, for the rest of his life, one of his legs would be significantly shorter than the other. Um, the biggest hurt of all, however, was the fact that his career would now be in ruins. His injuries meant that he could no longer do his numbers as a snake man, and in one fall, his career had disappeared. There was one positive, however, and while sitting in his hospital bed, or laying in his hospital bed is probably more true, uh, he realised that as a, as a result of his accident, he was able to turn his head around 120 degrees instead of the 90 degrees or that you and I can. Uh, so he asked himself the question, could he use this to his advantage? And pun alert, could he turn his life around by turning his head around? Ha! It was going to take a lot of work. So after his time in hospital, 
he set up a studio where he would um, train his head to turn further and further. He attached iron staples upholstered to leather, uh, sorry, upholstered with leather to the wall, uh, in between which he would place his head and he would turn and turn. This took a long time, uh, but Martin knew uh, his training was finished when his, when his nose lined up with his spinal cord. Some sources say this uh, took about three years, some say about four years, but whatever the case, after this time, Martin Lorello was able to turn his head around not just the 120 degrees, uh, as we said before, but 180 degrees. By this time, Martin had divorced Laura, to whom he had had one child, Alexander, born in 1905. Uh, we know very little about the divorce, uh, Laura or the child for that matter. Um, but Martin had remarried in 1916 to a woman named Emily uh, during the height of World War I. Uh, there are no real details as to why Martin did not fight in World War I, um, but I think we can safely assume that his accident in Russia, which caused uh, one leg to be shorter than the other, would uh, have probably been good grounds not to go to war. Germany after World War I was in pretty poor shape, uh, with heavy casualties from the war, a, a fallen and exiled monarchy, a new government, huge debt, with more to come as it happens from the pretty horrific clauses in the Treaty of Versailles, mass unemployment. We tend to think of Berlin in, in the 1920s as a, a hedonistic, carefree environment with films like Cabaret, which actually was probably uh, set a little bit later if I remember correctly, but you get the idea. Um, but for the majority of people, it was a pretty rough nightmare. Um, I can recommend if you want to do a bit of private research, uh, the TV series uh, Babylon Berlin, um, which uh, shows both styles of Berlin at the time. Or if you want to something a bit more artistic, uh, look at the works of uh, Otto Dix, uh, where you can see the wounded soldiers side by side with uh, match sellers or sex workers. And it was during this time that uh, Martin Arello was performing his act in Germany. Uh, and whilst he was performing his act in the town of Chemnitz, uh, he was spotted by a, an agent or, or a scout of the Ringley's Brothers and Barnum and Bailey uh, Circus and was asked whether he would like to perform his act in the USA. And now to set the scene, of course, in stark comparison to the poverty-stricken Germany where hyperinflation was about to severely impact the Weimar government, the lives of the whole pop German population, let's be honest. Uh, the USA was experiencing the Roaring Twenties. It was also the great era of the circus. We had these touring circuses which would go around the USA with their so-called freak shows. Anything from fire spitters to bear tamers, bearded ladies, Siamese twins, tall men, short men, men with stretchy skin, and even, of course, much more horrific acts uh, such as uh, George and William Hughes who were uh, the two Afro-American albino brothers, um, maybe twins, I'm not sure, but definitely brothers, who were taken from their mother at a young age and put on show as uh, Eco and Echo, the ambassadors from Mars. Um, so, uh, pretty horrific. Martin Lorello, um, who was about 5 foot 5, 165 centimetres, if we're looking at it from a metric point of view, he was cleanly shaven, he had combed hair, he had a pressed white shirt, polished leather shoes. He did not, at first glance, appear to fit into this circus life, but of course, he then turned his head.
Of course, Martin jumped at the chance, as many Europeans did at the time, for a new life in America. And it was either in 1920 or 1921 that uh, Martin married Emily, and then Martin left uh, for America in 1921, which uh, incidentally uh, was the peak year for immigration to the US, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And he was aboard the Olympic, the sister ship of the Titanic. And according to documents meticulously researched by a guy called Ray on uh, martinlorello.wordpress.com, a link to which I'll put in the show notes, Emily joined him later and they had their first child in 1922. Now, please do have a look at the link if you have the time. I don't know who uh, Ray is, but he has done an absolutely first-rate job in historical research, so do check that out. Throughout the 1920s, he was put on in circuses such as uh, the Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey, and billed as Martin Lorello, the human owl, or Martin Lorello, the man with the revolving head, or even more confusingly, as I have no real idea where they got the name from, but Bobby, the boy with the revolving head. Uh, Ray, the guy I mentioned before from uh, martinlorello.wordpress.com, has also found census records showing that he lived in Brooklyn, only a, co- only a couple of blocks away from Coney Island, um, and we can safely assume, therefore, that he also worked at Dreamland on Coney Island. Uh, he lists his salary at $1,200 a year, which if you take, in, if you take in, uh, inflation into account, uh, it works out at around $22,000 a year, so it's not a huge amount of money, really. In any case, he, he carried on his act, much to the pleasure of the audience. Uh, there is a superb photo where Martin is taking a beer from a barman at the bar, but his head is facing towards the camera, so I'll, I will put that on the website for you to look at as well. But, unfortunately, it was not his act as the human owl which garnered him the most attention in the national press. It was in late April 1931, and he was working for a circus in Baltimore. Uh, We know it was uh, from this time, because there was an article uh, printed in the New York Times on the 1st of May 31, uh, which uh, recounted the events. And his wife, Emily, back in New York, had gone to the police to press charges against Martin Lorello for desertion, leaving his wife and two children. The New York police then sent a telegram to their colleagues in Baltimore with a warrant for Lorello's arrest. They asked their colleagues, but how will we recognise him? And of course, the answer was quite simple. He is the only one who will be able to turn his head around 180 degrees. So the Baltimore police sergeant, Martin Cannon, sat in the crowded tent that evening watching the different acts go by. In a newspaper article, it says, uh, you know, about the police sergeant Martin Cannon weighing 200 pounds. I don't know why, that's not very important, of course, but in any case, onto the stage came Martin Lorello, and it is said that he turned his head around and winked at the police sergeant. The police sergeant winked back at Lorello and then went onto the stage to arrest him. Puns in newspaper headlines were obviously as bad then as they are now, with a local newspaper writing, turns back on wife, twists head into cell. Amazing journalism. Anyway, after his release, he continued performing his act, but he was getting older and as a consequence, more fragile and less flexible. So he decided on on training animals for the circus instead. 
um, and he was able to train cats to wear gloves and go head to head in a boxing match. He was also able to train dogs to dance. He was apparently also able to train a dog named Frisco to walk around smoking cigars and carrying an umbrella. However, I have seen no photographic evidence of that, so I'll remain skeptical. And one dark side comes, however, in that his former colleague, uh, Priscilla Bergiano, maybe it's pronounced, uh, who was also known as the Monkey Girl, cast aspersions on his character by saying that he was a Nazi sympathizer and that he hated the American flag. Uh, there are, however, no sources whatsoever to prove this, and her claim was only made after his death. So, was he a Nazi sympathizer? Looking at, it, looking at it on the one hand, I mean, it is possible that he saw Hitler's rise to power as something good for Germany, as did millions of Germans after the Weimar Republic, hyperinflation, mass unemployment, but we simply have no evidence for this at all. Uh, and in fact, to disprove Bergiano's claim a little bit, we could see that Martin Emelin, Martin Lorello, uh, he, he let his two sons fight in World War II in the American army against Nazi Germany. In fact, his second son, um, no, no, so his eldest son to his second wife, yeah, so his eldest son um, to Emily, his second wife, who was called Albert, was killed on the 14th of April in 1945, about three weeks before the end of the war. And um, apart from that, we know very, very little about his private life. Um, the last piece of available evidence for a performance dates from around 1952 and he died in 1955. Although, uh, from an evidence point of view, once again, there has been no death certificate which has been found. So yeah, thank you very much. That is all for today's episode on Martin Lorello, the man with the revolving head. Thank you for downloading and listening to Wunderkammer Podcast. Don't forget to visit us online at www.wunderkammerpodcast.com to find show notes and more blog posts. Email wunderkammerpodcast at gmail.com with suggestions, corrections, amendments or follow-ups to the podcast. Thank you.